0: So you have your Bibles, and you want to turn it to Matthew chapter 1. It's the first book of the New Testament, and so you should be able to find that fairly quickly. Matthew chapter 1, we'll be down in verse 18. Now, as you're looking there, I want to ask you to think with me for just a moment, if you can, just imagination. And suppose that this afternoon you are transported to a culture someplace in the world uh, you can think of maybe the amazon river basin Uh, maybe you can think of the middle of the congo and deep forest or maybe just large cities that are uh, held captive by islam and you have an encounter with a person there you meet someone and you strike up a conversation and you realize that they don't know anything about Christmas. Nothing. They've never heard of it, never heard the word before. So you have five minutes. You have five minutes to explain Christmas. What would you say? What would you talk about? What, what, what are the things that you would, would highlight in that five-minute conversation? Would you talk a lot about families getting together? Would you talk about family traditions? Would you talk about your Christmas tree? Would you talk about the fictional characters that are involved with this season due to people's need for entertainment? Would you talk about Frosty the Snowman? Would you bring up Santa Claus? What would you talk about in those five minutes? You see, what is you need to say in those five minutes is really what is the meaning of Christmas. That's what you really need to talk about. You don't need to talk about your favorite Christmas with your family. You don't need to talk about the time that you got the gift that you always wanted. You don't, you don't want to talk about all of those things, what you all do when you decorate your Christmas tree and how you decorate your home and where you put lights up and all. That's not what you want to talk about because that's not the meaning of Christmas you have five minutes what would you say if you are struggling right now to try to determine how you could talk about Christmas for five minutes without all those other things you need to really go home and spend some extended time studying the word of God for a while you you as a Christian really there's no excuse for that but if you would struggle to talk for five minutes about christmas like what it really is to someone who'd never heard about it at all then that's a that's a problem if you really want to know here's the thing if you really want to know why christmas has lost its meaning out there it's because christmas has lost its meaning in here it's really true and you say oh pastor you're just one of these that you're just hardcore about christmas I mean, you know, you won't even let us hang a Grinch on the Christmas tree. Look, man, I got Spider-Man on mine, so hush. Okay, that, that's, not, that's not the point here. That's not the point. The, the point is, have we actually, due to all of that stuff, have we actually forgot the real meaning of Christmas? And as Christians, we're really no longer able to articulate the definition and meaning of it and what it really is about. We're not able to separate out the meaningless or the peripheral from the meaningful and the central. You know when I preach, you know what happens? You feel like I'm getting on to you. Do you know why you feel that way? Because I am. Now, <laughs> no, life is a corrective. You know, as Christians, it's always corrective. Because here, here's my point. I'm not saying you're bad people. You already know that about yourself. But... <laughs> What I'm what I'm, say, what I'm saying is that the world is always like pulling us away from what's true, and so every Sunday, each one of us, myself included, we need a corrective. Like, okay, back out of the ditch, and here's the scent. let's get in the middle of the road again and keep going. And so that's what it's all about. It, it, it's not about beating people up. That's not the issue. It's about the Word of God being able to correct us and get us back where we need to be. And we need that every Sunday. You know, we do need it. So, so that's what it is. So the, the reason that we want to take a look at Luke, uh, I mean, uh, Matthew chapter one, I'm, I mean, I'm all over the Bible with Christmas stuff right now, as you might imagine. So uh, Matthew chapter one, what Christmas is all about, verses 18 through 25. Here, here's, we're going to have three characteristics here now of what, what Christmas is all about. Christmas is about God's power. Christmas is about God's plan. And Christmas is about God's presence if if you could remember those three those three things just those three characteristics of Christmas you could fill in the rest of it with the knowledge that you have but you have to have a plan and how you're going to approach it so let's talk about Christmas and how it's God's power verses 18 through 20 and the Bible says in Matthew chapter 1 verse 18 now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. So God's power. Now, you must understand this, that nobody can rightly call themselves a Christian and deny the virgin birth. Do you understand that? That, that is as foundational as it can be. Whenever the, the reason that people want to deny that is because they want to cast doubt upon the person of Christ and who he really is. So we know that there is a miracle that takes place here in Christmas. It's the power of God at work. Now, how is the power of God at work? First, in the conception of the child, of course. This child is from the Holy Spirit. Now, what does that mean? Well, this verse means this. That the Holy Spirit alone caused the pregnancy without engaging in the normal means of human reproduction. You say, well, is that too specific? Are you, why do you have to say all of that? Because we have over a billion people in the world who think that what we're saying by the conception of Jesus, that God had a relationship with Mary. You realize that's what Islam says about us. That when we talk about Jesus being the Son of God and the virgin birth, what we're saying is, that God had relationship with Mary and that's how Mary had a child and that's why they reject all of this because they don't understand that it is from the Holy Spirit throughout Christian history early in Christian history they begin to call Mary mother of God it wasn't because they were elevating Mary it was because they were trying to claim, proclaim to the world that the one who was born of Mary is truly God. But the world has trouble accepting that. Why? Because it's a miracle. It's, a, it's unexplainable. Now, let me, let me help you understand this. Let's just make this announcement and it will help us all to understand the problem here. No one here was conceived that way. If you doubt that, you have a problem. It's not normal. It's not the way it's ever happened before. The fact is the prophet Isaiah says it this way, really, in the Hebrew, he says it this way. Behold the pregnant virgin. It it doesn't really say a virgin shall conceive. It's, It's more than that. It's behold. Take a look. At the pregnant virgin. Now I I don't want to get into. Biology and reproduction. Health class with you. But that is a biological impossibility. For a virgin to be pregnant. Okay you got problems with that. Talk to Mark Guy afterwards. He's back there at the door. So why, why though. Why is this important? Why is it this way? Because the human being here. Had to be sinless. And. This human had to be without connection to Adam's fallenness in order to be a sinless Savior. So he had to be human, truly human, because it was required, since this is a human problem, sin is a human problem, it requires that a human be the substitute for other humans. And if the human is not sinless, then that human cannot be a substitute and pay the debt for our sin because he would have sin of his own. And so this is essential to understanding who Jesus Christ really is. But he's also the eternal Son of God at the same time. The Son of God is eternally begotten of the Father. That means that He proceeds from the Father and there, there has never been a moment in all of eternity in which He did not. And so the eternal Son of God did not come into existence here at this moment. The eternal Son of God always existed, but it is, as He said in the book of Hebrews, a body you have prepared for Me. And so now what we have is the virgin conception Of a human being that the Holy Spirit has placed in the womb. With a real human nature. A real human soul. But also welded together with the divine nature. Those two natures never intermingling. But coexisting at the same time. But in one personality who is Jesus. That's who this is that's being born. Now throughout christian history we're talking about this a little bit in sunday school and i went to brian petzel's class and kind of see if he knew anything and so uh did that this morning so brian praise the lord for your brother you and sandy doing a great job in there but um I, i was he's trying to teach his kids latin i'm like oh boy so anyway we you know we're looking at this throughout history what we have is people that attack one or two of those things of jesus either he's not truly human and we would have people like the Gnostics that would say, you know, deity and humanity can't mix because humanity is so corrupted we couldn't have the connection of deity with humanity without corrupting deity. Well, here's the solution. The virgin birth, the virgin conception of a human. That solves that whole problem, doesn't it? So it can be a reality. But that's the Islam has that same qualm. We can't have deity Being welded together to humanity. That would be, that would be anathema. That would be Greek rather than Arabic. But that, that would be wrong. It just, it's, it's wrong. And so we can't do that. So throughout history we have those who would deny this because they deny either the deity or the humanity of Jesus. We have Jehovah's Witnesses. They deny the deity of Jesus. Instead he's some kind of created being, a being of a higher class to be sure, than all the rest of creation. But certainly not God. We have the Mormons the same way that Jesus would be the spirit brother of Lucifer. A God of this world, but not the God over all. A created being. Why? What's the issue here? There can be no such thing, according to them, as both God and man in one personality. We have those that would deny his deity we have those who deny his humanity we have those people that into modalism that there really aren't three personalities of the trinity they just make different appearances like putting on new disguise and coming out surprise it's me okay i'm gonna play jesus for a while whoops now i'm playing the father and all of those stupid illustrations that people use they really fall into that heresy of presenting god in different modes different presentations of God why because they don't believe that three personalities of the trinity can share the one essence that is God there is distinction between the father the son and the holy spirit they're different personalities but there's only one essence which is God Say, I don't understand that good now you understand God a lot better when you get to the point you don't really understand and you and you glory in the mystery of what God is and who He is, then you understand God a lot better than you did. And so we have Jesus here being presented and the virgin birth is essential because what we're saying is that the Son of God without forfeiting His deity is knit together with the humanity and they're not two persons in one body we're not talking about split or civil. We're talking about Jesus Christ, one personality and the miracle of two natures, human nature and divine nature at the same time. Now, this explains why in the Gospels, when we see Jesus going through his ministry, that he is operating out of his human nature. Always say this about Jesus. He doesn't cheat when he was here on earth. When he was here on earth and he's suffering temptation, he doesn't reach over to the deity part and go, ah, force field. Can't get me. When it's time for suffering, he doesn't go, oh, putting up the, I'm putting up the God front now, you can't touch me. He doesn't do that. He walks through his 33 and a half years here in a human nature. He chooses not to access the divine nature. Except only when the Father wills it and says, do it. Only then. The rest of the time, He bears our suffering with us. We have a great high priest in the heavens. And He has felt every temptation that we've felt. He, the Bible says He sympathizes with us. And the word sympathy there means to suffer with us. How did He, how can He do that? Because he truly is man. How could he possibly take the benefits of his suffering and his crucifixion? How could he possibly take that and apply it to anyone? Because he's God. And so you see the essential reality here. That in the virgin birth there's a lot that's being communicated. So this is a miracle the question is, do you believe it? If you can't believe this much from God, you're not going to believe anything. You you can't believe anything savingly from Jesus Christ if you can't believe this part. Do you know... I'm just going to call it like it is. Do, do you know the difference between me um, and, and my one friend in town who pastors at Bible Baptist and everybody else? this he and I actually believe this and are not going to back up on it at all Amen. everything else is a bunch of wavering and milly mouth around about it all it's ridiculous how, how, how can you rightly proclaim the gospel when the person and the central figure of the gospel you're not even sure of how he got here. I've Never seen anything like it in my life. God's power. People need to stop worrying about social justice so much as pastors. And start worrying about the gospel and the truth of the Bible. How about that for a while? Why don't pastors start majoring on what they're here for? I am just... I'm not mad at anybody on earth except other pastors. Okay, in the conception of the child. All right, so now also the power of God. I got to I got to move in the conviction of a man. Verses nineteen twenty. Now here's Joseph. You know Joseph is her husband, and it's hard to remember. You know all of this, and we study it in Sunday school. I know we do, but it's hard to remember like how the how Jewish marriage works. How works. So first of all, there's the legal thing. And when Julie and I were in Senegal, they, they would have this. It's called the tak. And, and what that means is that the two dads get together. The dad of the, the, the groom, the dad of the bride, and they get together and they make an agreement. And the agreement usually involves, in that uh, culture that we're from, usually involves that the dad of the, of the groom brings a bunch of stuff, you know, and, and gives it to the, Father of the bride, and so like you know, you get a few bags of rice. And I have been hit up for that a lot by my friends over there. They would say, "Hey, we need this to get married." I'm like, "Well, she better be pretty because I'm getting ready to give you a bag of rice." You know, so you take that. You know, sometimes the mother in law wants a color television. We well, got to take that. You know, down there. in the old days, it was just camels. I don't know how this has evolved, but so, but, but that's a legal binding agreement. You are now legally married, but then there is the trial period where you you don't live together as husband and wife. You don't come together, as, mm-hmm. and so you don't do that for a whole year. I'm thinking this is like torture. What is this? So you don't you don't do that, and part of that is to test your love and to test your loyalty to one another. And so that at the end of that year, then you have the ceremony. You have a great big party. And uh then you consummate the marriage and then you come out and prove that you have to all your friends. Embarrassing all the way around. So that's kind of the problem. So so Mary and Joseph here are legally married. They're just not relationally married yet. Maybe I can put it that way. I'm trying to be polite. We have young people in here. And so don't want to stir your inordinate affections. So so you you have to, you know, so that's what's going on. Now it's a legal agreement, so the only way to get out of this, you, it, this is not engagement where you say, give me back my ring. The only way to get out of this is divorce. A legal action to cancel a legal action. That's the only way to get out of it. So here's Joseph, and Joseph finds out about this. Okay, so think about this. Your your fiancé says to you, Hey, honey, i got to tell you something. What is it? I'm pregnant oh man how far along are you are you three days well let me tell you something right now I know that wasn't me girl you got some answering to do you know well it was of the Holy Ghost okay one other woman tried that and it wasn't you and ain't gonna work okay so I mean can you imagine That Joseph here is confronted with. His life is ruined. He's going to be the talk of the town. If you think small towns don't gossip. Well you haven't lived in Chillicothe long enough. So they talk. People make assumptions. And they say things. And they're going to look at him as a dishonorable man. How could you hang out with this woman? And so it casts a bad light upon Joseph. And Joseph here, you know, he's, he's like, he hadn't done anything wrong. Why are you doing this to me, God? I do not done anything wrong. And so he's, he's gonna do something here. He's resolved to divorce her quietly. Just, he, he's, he's a kind of man. He, he doesn't want to bring shame upon her. He's not wanting to make a, I'm right and she's wrong, everybody look at her, look at me. You know, all that kind of stuff that people go through in this. So he's not wanting to do any of that. Now, I know that legally, uh, you know, they could, back in those days, could have stoned Mary, you know, to death. Uh, they, but, but during that day and time, that, that was not happening much. So there wasn't like that big of a threat. But the threat was just simply this. She was going to be branded the rest of her life as, you know, she's going to be the, the fodder for gossip probably the rest of her life. And so he's trying to find a way to get out of this because he doesn't trust her. But he doesn't want to, you know, she's a young woman. She's maybe 15 years old. He doesn't want to, you know, make her to, to be the laughing stock of the community. Either. So he's in a little bit of a conundrum. And so he's worrying about it, he's thinking about it, and so in verse 20, while he's doing that, angel of the Lord appears to him in a dream and says, Joseph, son of Mary, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, here's my point. It, 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 would this be hard for you to believe? It would be hard for me to believe. I mean, if you, she says this is from the Holy Spirit. Mm. Okay, that'd be a little hard to believe. So, Joseph's having to make life decisions here on the fly. He's a young man too. He's having to make life decisions on the fly. And she's telling him that she's innocent of any sin. But yet she's pregnant. Yeah, right. And so, he needs to abandon her. But he doesn't want to shame her. He doesn't want to just ruin her life openly. He's just going to take her back to her parents and say, here. You know. And so, that's what he wants to do. So, how do you explain overnight this radical change of heart that Joseph has? I mean, anybody can have a dream, right? And and dreams usually are just weird. You ever notice that they're like warped reality? Like, what is this? So a little little weird. So Joseph has a dream though here, and this dream is sent from God. And so in the dream, he has an encounter with this angel. The angel is a messenger of the Lord, appears to him in a dream, and and says these things to him. Just as Mary said, the angel saying, "It is true." Now, we're kind of flipping about all this kind of thing in our day, and so this incident may not be that impactful for you, but it was life-changing for Joseph. The power of God was at work in him that convinced him that he needed to follow through with this. If Joseph balks, if Joseph bails, the plan unravels. And so this is the power of God at work. Joseph's needed here. Joseph's a carpenter Joseph's steady Joseph is reliable Joseph makes a living Joseph evidently knew a lot about the Lord is was like a surprise like what's an angel so he, he knew a lot about what's going on he's the son of David he's called so he has a, a, a lineage of following the Lord and so here we have the angel coming to him and changing his heart and changing his mind so it's the power of God so That all of these things come together. It's the work of the power of God in people's lives by the power of the Spirit of God. Now, Christmas is also about this, as I've already alluded to. It's about God's plan. Verses 21 and 22 say this. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. For, here's the reason you're going to call him that. He will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. And it goes on and gives us the quote from Isaiah. So of the God's plan so this is the plan of God and so Christmas is about God's plan being revealed so this plan is foretold in the scriptures all this took place verse 22 says I'm reversing the verses here for just a moment but in verse 22 if you skip down there all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet this reference is to the prophecy of Isaiah Isaiah written over 600 years before the birth of Jesus And the Bible prophesied that he would be born of a virgin. The first prophecy of his virgin birth, of course, you know, is in Genesis 3.15. When it says that the seed of the woman, I don't know if you know what the word seed there is in Hebrew, but, well, I don't want to say it in public. But only a man has that. Only a man produces that. Let's put it that way. That'll help you a little bit. Yeah, some of you are saying, what, snot? What, what is this? Okay. Well, no, that's just your husband. So, so this is, but a woman doesn't do that. And in the Bible, genealogy is reckoned by the man. Except here. In Genesis 3. And so, I'm getting ready to take this microphone and throw it away. Um, so Genesis 3. And so, we had that, but Isaiah then comes along in, in verse, uh, chapter 7 and verse 14 and talks about the virgin behold the, the the pregnant virgin and so he he talks about that then uh in Micah 5:2 we have the place of the birth of Jesus then in Jeremiah chapter 31 we have that the that innocent children would die as a result of an effort to eliminate this child we also have that this one would be betrayed by a friend for 30 pieces of silver in Psalm 41, 9. In Zechariah chapter 11, verse, verse 12. And that he would die on a cross next to sinners in Isaiah 53, 12. And Psalm twenty-six fifteen, And that he would rise from the dead in Psalm sixteen ten And Isaiah 53. And there are so many, many more of these prophecies about Jesus long before he was ever born. And here's the point of this. The Bible is putting itself way out there. If you're trying to deceive people, you don't want to put stuff out there like that to which you can be held accountable. For example, the Jehovah's Witnesses, I don't remember the date now, but sometime back in the early 1900s, uh, you know, Charles Taze Russell, their founder, had said, you know, had a prophecy that, you know, Jesus would return in a certain year on a certain date. Well, of course it didn't happen. And rather than people abandoning that, they allowed him to redact his statement and change it. Well, I meant in in people's lives. Convenient. The one prophecy he has and he messes it up. So, again, uh, uh, we have all of these specific prophecies about Jesus. More than 600 years before, 400 years plus before he was even born... And the Bible puts them out there and just is really challenging you to say, "Prove us wrong." God, God is just just throwing it out there to humans and go, "Prove me wrong." Go ahead, do it. I found that most people that don't believe the Bible have never read it. It's it's their defense mechanism. I don't I don't believe it. I don't believe it. What, what do you know about it? Can you find the Gospel of John? <laughs> okay. The Bible is doing that. So all of these predictive claims about someone... And this is what God has done in His Word. He's just saying, I'm true. Test me and see. I'm true. So foretold in the Scripture His plan. And this plan is fulfilled in the Son. Because in the Son of God, verse 21, you have... You shall call His name Jesus, for He will save His people from their sins. Jesus fulfilled each of these prophecies, proving that He is the promised Savior of sinful humans. All other religions... Whether your religion is formal or informal. A formal formal religion is just one that's made up by someone else. And informal religion is one that you've made up. All of the religions teach this. That a human being can save himself or herself in various ways. That's what they all teach. If that is true, then Jesus is useless. Because in this verse we see that it's Jesus who saves people from their sins he doesn't help people get saved, he saves them he's not a moral example so we'll be more moral even though he is that he's not a great teacher just so we have great teaching though he is that he's way beyond that the name Jesus it means God saves, Yahweh saves he saves from sin. Now, I, I want to point out something here. And, and it, it, will, it will bless your heart a little bit. Verse 21 says, he will save his people from their sins. His people. If his people refers to the Jews, he failed. Now, that's how a Jewish person would probably read that passage. His people. We mean, Jews. But you must understand and you must differentiate between these two things. There is the temporal and earthly election of a group of people that God uses for an example and a vehicle by which He will convey and transport the gospel. That would be the Jewish people. That is not an election to salvation. It's not an election to eternal salvation. That's not what it is. It's a choosing of a group of people through which God would fulfill his promises to save. Eternal election is from the foundation of the world. Those are the ones that Jesus saves. Those are his people. The ones that he calls my sheep. And those who are the elect for eternity, their ethnicity is has no bearing whatsoever upon their election into his people. And so Christ is the one, he saves them. He never fails to save someone who is his person. He never fails to save anyone who is his elect. There has never been a drop of the blood of Jesus that hit the ground that was ever wasted on a rejector. There is no double jeopardy of eternity where Jesus dies for people's sins and they reject him and then they have to pay for their sins in eternity. It never happens. Jesus saves everyone that the Father has given him. His people from their sins. Now, these prophecies, is he the one that can save them? Or is it someone else? I think you've been, some of you've been reading David Jeremiah's little devotional for Christmas and we put that out there. And if you didn't pick one of those up, you can get one of those on the way out and you can start on day five today if you want to. If we run out of those, there are a few of the OS Hawkins ones that are the Christmas code. Same kind of concept. You can pick up one of those if you like. So just short readings each day through the Christmas season. But, um, yes, I think yesterday, if I'm on the right day, uh, yesterday was talking about, um, In why the Nativity, David Jeremiah's devotional there, um, that there are over 300 prophecies about the coming Savior that are written about Jesus before he was born. There are a few of those yet to be fulfilled in the future. There are future prophecies, of course. But the majority of them, overwhelming majority of them, have been fulfilled already in Christ. And Jeremiah points out that there's one mathematician that determined the odds of one person fulfilling even 30, just 30 of those prophecies, not all 300, just 30 of them. What are the odds? And this mathematician said the odds were one in one with 157 zeros past it, after it. Those are the odds. Man, I would just go with the odds. I would bet on that. I think I would risk my soul on that. I think I would risk my eternity on those odds. Those are pretty good odds. They're, they're even better than the odds that Alabama's going to win the national t- title again. Okay, so they're, they're good odds. De- Debbie Stowers, is she in here somewhere? I just want to give her a little prop up. So one in 150 says, so is, is Jesus who he says that he is? His fulfilling these prophecies more than enough evidence to believe on Him. It's more than enough. If you will believe. So this is God's plan. What was God's plan? He foretold in the scripture that the Savior was coming. And His plan is that it would be fulfilled in His Son. Who is both divine and Human. There would be the sacrifice, the substitutionary atonement for his people so that they could believe on him, have their sins forgiven because they've been punished in the Savior and rise from the dead in order to apply justification to the lives of those who are his people. Now then, Christmas is about God's power and God's plan, but it's also about God's presence in verses 23 through 25. And you know this part of the scripture and the prophet said this Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. I like it when Matthew assumes we're stupid. It helps. I like it when Jesus does something and then explains it. It helps. You know, so you know, Matthew's even telling us this is what Emmanuel means. Thank you, Matthew. When Jesus, uh, when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. And obviously, verse twenty-five is a refute to that uh, teaching that Mary was some kind of perpetual virgin. Um, knew her not until, okay. And Jesus had half brothers and sisters, of course. Um, so God's presence here. God's presence. Notice the deity of Jesus. Emmanuel which means God with us. This is how Jesus could say of himself. Whoever has seen me. Has seen the father. Jesus is the visual. Visible presentation. In flesh and blood. Of who God is. One of the reasons that I avoid the fictitious character stuff at Christmas is because God deserves to have the whole stage to himself. Um, every church I've gone in, I have, I have to be careful of my words here, I started to say something that could be taken wrong by children and they would all leave crying. I have eliminated Santa Claus from the worship service because he ain't stinking real. I mean, we might as well have Mickey Mouse Donald Duck and whatever else involved now there there was a Saint Nick, but he was a defender of the deity of Jesus so you know to to have that as company you know where I've always gotten a pushback from that? the church, grief over it, Merry Christmas Pastor. No, we're not doing him. We're doing Jesus at our church. No, we're not going to have kids come and talk to a creepy guy with a beard. You know, we're not doing that. We're teaching them Jesus saves. Jesus saves. See, I've always, I, I grew up poor and I always had a fundamental problem with the guy in the beard that had flying deer that gave more presents to the rich kids. That was always a stickler with me. What kind of guy is this? Just blows right past the poor people thought he's supposed to be saint nick you ever think about that fundamental problem with that guy so we have to grasp the real meaning of christmas and and so the real meaning of christmas has nothing to do with all the peripherals now if you want to go watch frosty snowman tonight that's fine it's okay but don't make it central don't make it competitive be sure you help your kids understand this is play, this is fantasy, Jesus is real. This is real stuff. <laughs> Julie and I, we started out with our kids with this, and, and you know, at the beginning of our first child, uh, we don't, he, he only got three gifts for Christmas. We're like, hey, it's what Jesus got, you ain't getting no more than that. If I wouldn't know what I know now, you've got one present for Christmas, but nonetheless. But... But with, you know, three, and and we always tell them from the the beginning these came from your parents. They came from us. God has given us the ability to give this to you, and we're glad to do it. We had parents say to us, Wow, y'all self centered. No, 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 we're not. We're Christ centered. We're just trying to be real. Now, with my second kid, he ruined everybody's Christmas and Easter at every school he ever attended. Hardcore that one. I forgot to tell him, like, hey man, temper it just a little bit, you know. Being in kindergarten, telling the teacher, you're wrong about that. It's about Jesus. You know, I'm like, oh. I mean, could you imagine a kid going in and telling telling the whole classroom first graders there ain't no Easter bunny? I get a call from a teacher. Could you please come down here? You know what? You know what that teacher conference about? I listened to her complaint, and she goes, well, "What do you have to say about that?" I, and my response was, "He's not wrong." I thought, let's suspend him over it. Let's do that, a first grader. i take him to Dairy Queen. <laughs> God's, Christmas is about God. It's about His power. It's about His plan. It's about His presence. And, and here's the thing. Here's this deity. Here's this God who is the genesis of everything and all that exists from the the Milky Way to the tadpole. God has personally created all of these things. And it is this God by His power who sustains and organizes everything so that it operates. And, you know, we talk about laws like natural law and law of gravity. All of those things are just our explanation of how God organizes and maintains His world. And here is this God that is holy, who's never been tainted by a moment of wrong or sin. Here's this God who is self-sustaining, self-existing, knowing all things with all power. And what does he do? He comes near to sinners. God, not just God. Jesus is not just God. He's God with us. Have you ever noticed this about Jesus? He doesn't like to brush shoulders with those who have their lives all together. Or at least think they do. When we find Jesus, where do we find him? With the sinners. What was the biggest knock they had against Jesus during his ministry? He eats with sinners. Jesus wasn't stupid. Sinners are real. They just who they are. You don't have all the pretense of the others who have coated their ungodliness with a coat of religion so that they can present themselves appropriately to everyone and cause everyone to think that they've got it all together. You know why? Because He's God with us. That's what Christmas is. His availability. Not just His deity. but See, Here here is the thing. Every other religion in the world, it's like this. It's like God exists on this cloud or let's say this mountain. And, And humans are given rules and laws of how to climb that mountain to see if you can get to God. And the fact of the matter is, we climb a little bit and we slide back down. Climb a little bit and slide back down. But here's the message of Christianity. That God... Came down from the mountain and got his hands dirty among sinners. That's what Christianity is. Not just God, but God with us. This is what Christmas is. It's the miracle of God being with us sinners. Now, what do you do with all of this? I mean, so what? Well, simply this. This one who was born a virgin, his name is Jesus. Jesus means God's, God saves. Who does he save? Those who are his people. How do I know if I'm his people? Believe on him. If you won't believe on him, you're not his people. But believe on him. Put your full confidence in him. To repent. Jesus calls for repentance. What does he mean by repentance? He means to walk away. To walk away from living life apart from Him. To to walk away from a life in which He's not central. To walk away from a life in which you're trusting in yourself or your good works. Or whatever kind of scheme you got going on to try to make yourself right with God. Just to walk away from that stuff. And instead look to Him. Look to Him and be saved. The prophet cries out in the voice of Jesus, Look to me all the ends of the earth and be saved. You look to him, you put your confidence on the one who hung on a cross for you. One who truly experienced all of the pain and the frailty of humanity. And who suffered in his own soul the rejection of his own father in heaven in your place. So that you could go free. Put your confidence in what He's done for you. And put your confidence in who He will be for you. Because He rose from the dead in order to be Lord of your life. He's not going to just cut you free and let you just flop around out there. No. He now is Lord. He is now the central controlling force in your life. But here's what here's what you... You've got to respond to it. He calls you to respond. What do you do? You, you fess up. Lord, I'm a sinner. I've lived life my own way. I've been in rebellion against you. Don't even use the word mistake, stupid word. Mistake is when you go the wrong way on US 23, which I did yesterday. You know, that's a mistake. Sin is rebellion. It's out and out defiance of God. I will not live your way. I'll live my own way. It's defiance of God. I do not need your salvation. I'll save myself. It's defiance of God. You just have to say, Lord, that's been me. The worst sinner in this Bible is not worse than me. I'm the worst I've ever seen. And you just fess up. You just say it. This is what it is. You just, you, you just got to. Own up to it. Then you need to, to, to make a, a, a statement of faith. Jesus, I believe you're God in human flesh. You came to live here and then to die in the place of sinners like me. So that God's punishment for my sin would be upon you rather than upon me. And I believe you rose from the dead to prove that what you did is effective and that you're willing to give it to me. That gift of forgiveness, your presence in my life, you're willing to give it to me. I believe it. And so now my response to you, Lord, is just offer my life up. Take it, if you will. And with that kind of humility, that's what Christ is looking for. And with that, he'll come rushing into your life and change you from the inside out. That 's what salvation is. that's what it's about. about God coming out of heaven to get into you. That's what it is. If you have never started a life with Jesus on those terms, you need to today, you need to start today, and you you, you need some help to make sure you get it right. So many people try to avoid being humbled by this, that's a sure sign that you don't get it. You see. If I put a pile of money down here on the table and I said, "Come and get it." y'all wouldn't care what you looked like coming to get it. You wouldn't care who saw you diving for it, or knocking one of the ladies out of the way to get it. You wouldn't care. When it comes to Jesus, you shouldn't care either what people think. If you do, then that's a fundamental evidence that you're really not ready. This is a treasure. It's worth giving up everything to gain your own soul for eternity, don't you think? It's worth everything. So I would say to you today, come to Jesus. I'll be here waiting on you. You come. We'll sing a song in just a moment. A few verses. We don't sing very long, but we'll just give you a chance. You come to Christ. So you come. We'll help you know how do you give your life over to Christ and get his life into you. Would you do that? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you in the name of Jesus that you have given us this section of your word which is real true trustworthy and reliable that tells us who jesus really is and what he came to do now i pray father that you would call those in their hearts today that need to be saved lord would you just put that on their hearts would you arrest them would you enlighten them illumine them cause them to see maybe for the first time in their life That they are outside of Christ. They have no claim on him. They have no claim to forgiveness of sin. They have no claim to eternal life. They have no claim to peace. None of those things are theirs. Because they don't have the one that's the author of those things. Which is Jesus. I ask you today Lord that you put that on their heart and mind. Help them to see that. Work repentance and faith in them. That they may give their life over to Jesus. Release them from the traps and the tricks and the bonds and slavery of Satan that they may be able to receive the Savior today and I pray and ask this in Jesus name Amen